and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us today. It's a Farmer Friday. If you'd like to call into the show, our number here is 844-44-AG-PHD. Our phone lines will be open all throughout the show. Again, that is 844-442-4743. You can email us, radio at agphd.com, or send us a note on Twitter, agphdmedia, Darren Hefty or Brian Hefty. All right, so Darren, um, it's about, well, just about your end here. What are the top two or three questions you've been getting from farmers that you've been talking to? Because I know you've been talking to quite a few of them here just lately, out doing some meetings and everything else. So what, uh, what's been brought up to you? I would say the number one thing, Brian, as some of the crop protection pricing has come out, farmers are really surprised with how big some of these rebates are. And a lot of guys are looking at, wow, uh, I might switch up what I'm using. And uh, one of the things, too, is I may use more name brand products again. Some of the name brands now with these rebates are cheaper than the generics even. I'd say most of the name brand products are cheaper than the generics when you take advantage of some of the rebate programs. So what happened is with a lot of the generic companies, they had no choice but to go up in price because of tariffs and rising costs. Whereas the name brand companies, they had a bad year last year, number one, so they want to get some of that market share back or what they think is market share. I don't think it's market share at all. I think it's just we had so many fewer acres that were planted all across the United States and Canada that sales were just flat out down. So they're trying to get those sales up, number one, so they lowered prices. Um, or added rebate programs. Either way, net cost is down. And the other thing is they actually did have some margin left to give, whereas the generic companies, you know, they don't have much for margin at all. So there's nowhere they could go but up when costs went up. But yes, it's to me shocking some of the rebate programs that have come out, like Bears program. Uh, Darren, I was just figuring up a little while ago and talking to somebody and I go, it wouldn't surprise me if it's a billion dollars in rebates they pay out. Now that that's I, I, I realize that's going to be too high and it's not going to be a billion, but it might be half a billion. It's going to be a crazy amount of money. So I'd almost call it a fire sale. And, I, you know, I, I mean, their sales are going to go up just dramatically. But some of these things you go, yeah, to your point. Um, I'm rethinking even on our own farm. Okay, normally I only spray our very best corn with fungicide a second time. But this coming year, as cheap as you can get some of these things, I go, hmm, I don't know. I mean, BSF dramatically lowered their fungicide prices. FMC responded. Bayer has their big program. I mean, almost all the name brand companies, you go, wait a second here. I was doing some generic stuff, and we were on our farm too because it was cheap. But now I'm like man, it's not much more and I can get the best thing and I can get multiple modes of action. Um, I got to at least think about it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, that's it's really shaking things up and getting guys to think about what they're going to do. The other thing, Brian, that's been a neat topic is rethinking corn hybrid maturities. A lot of guys <laughs> got burned this year with late yep. planting. Yep. And, uh, and here's a couple of different twists to this. Some guys said, I got. I can't believe how much yield I got, and I backed off five or ten days on maturity from what I normally do. That was really impressive. I didn't think I could do that. And then other guys are thinking the opposite way. Well, I didn't back off enough, and man, am I paying the penalty on that. I have to rethink what happens if I get in a late planting situation again. The last time we had cold and wet years back-to-back that were this dramatic were 1992 and 1993. Now, that happened because in the Philippines, Mount Pinatubo, uh, erupted and there was 
ash, volcanic ash that that went all the way around the globe. And the the temperature on the earth (laughs) went down in those two years. So there was a legitimate reason why that happened in 92 and 93. Well, I don't know why it happened these last couple of years, why we had so much rain. We had double normal rainfall two years in a row. We had prevent plant acres in 2019 in our region, similar to what we saw in 1993. But here's the point. It was in 92, I think 92 is the year, when our dad burned up our dryer. And 93, we also had a lot of wet corn. And I got sick of scooping corn by hand just to get it out of a gravity wagon because it was so wet. And I said, no, <laughs> come on, we, Dad, we, we got to go to a little earlier stuff. So we started going to earlier maturities, and I'm very thankful we did. Now, in the meantime, we have dramatically improved our drainage on our farm and our fertility. So we are getting things to mature much better than they did before. We even had some 111-day corn that was planted the end of April, and it was, uh, I'm going to say 23% on Halloween. It was just fine. So it it turned out fine for us, and 111-day around here is a very late corn. Normally, guys are planting 95 to 105. But anyway, my point is, uh, you know, we had the same kind of thing happen 25 years ago where we had too wet, too wet, and so we had two, three years in a row where it's like, uh, yeah, what are we doing here? Well, we got to back off on maturity. That's what we did back then, and that's what a lot of guys are going to do now. All right. The other hot topic I would say so far this fall and early winter has been fallow syndrome. And guys talking about, hey, there are a lot of unplanted acres. And even where I did get planted, I had some spots in my field that drowned out and nothing really grew out there other than a few weeds that came late. How big an impact is that going to make on my crop and how am I going to manage that going forward? And, you know, one of the things, Brian, we talk a lot and all the studies will show this, that soybeans are a better choice in those acres. But even so, there's a lot of guys that say, I want to raise corn, so I'm probably going to have to do some extra things here to make it work. Well, I got one piece of good news. Many weeds are pretty good at reducing the impact of fallow syndrome. So if you let your field go to weeds at the time, you probably thought, oh, man, this is a disaster. And don't get me wrong. You're going to have to invest more in weed control in the future. But the good news is hopefully your mycorrhiza fungi, most of them lived, uh, granted some of them I'm sure drowned, but most of them lived hopefully, meaning you'll, you should be able to get a lot of nutrients into your plant through those fungi. Now, if you did have your ground black or it was underwater for a really long time, yeah, we do not advise you to plant corn. And your, your response may be, well, I'll just put a little extra fertilizer on. Now, if you're thinking I'm going to throw 20 extra pounds of phosphorus out, what I've told a lot of guys is, eh, you might want to multiply that times 10. I'd put an extra two or 300 pounds. I mean, I'm talking above and beyond normal, and I'm talking actual phosphate. So I'm talking a crazy amount of fertilizer to try to overcome that fallow syndrome. It usually doesn't work out too well, so that's why I just say you got to really overdo it. We'll talk more about those things and more here on a Farmer Friday coming up next. Using NSERV nitrogen stabilizer with fall fertilizer applications keeps nitrogen available into the spring for maximum crop growth. Field trials in Iowa show NSERV delivered an average revenue increase of $22.96 per acre, and NSERV is the only recognized nitrogen stabilizer product in the Iowa Nutrient Reduction Strategy because it reduces nitrate leaching. That's max profit in an environmentally sustainable way. Calculate your field's profit potential at nitrogenmaximizers.com. We know balanced crop nutrition pays. 
AgriLiquid has the research, technology, and products you need to grow a great crop. Plus, the expertise to give you a recommendation based on your soils, your fields, and your goals. AgriLiquid has the phosphorus, potassium, and micronutrient products necessary to deliver the best results from a solid fertility program. Visit agroliquid.com to find a dealer near you. Bean growers continue to see yield loss from white mold across the Midwest this season. To maximize next year's crop, a white mold prevention strategy that includes Contans WG soil fungicide is a must for your farming operation. Applying Contans this fall to reduce the sclerotia in the soil is the most effective way to stop white mold at its source. Start a Contans white mold control strategy this fall or pay for it later in lost yield. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio on Farmer Friday. That means we're taking your calls and questions all throughout the show today. If you'd like to ask an agronomic question or talk about what's going on on your farm, we'd love to hear from you. Phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. You can also send us an email if you'd prefer, radio at agphd.com. Or find us on Twitter, AgPhD Media, Brian Hefty or Darren Hefty. Start off down in the state of Iowa. We've got Dave with us today. Uh, Dave, thanks for calling in. Really appreciate it. Yeah, sure. Thanks for uh, thanks for taking the call. So, uh, what's happening on your farm, Dave? Harvest all done? You working on equipment now, or or what are you what are you into? Harvest is done. Um, we're having some unusually warm weather right now, so we're doing a little bit of tillage that we didn't get done earlier. Um, trying to catch out and up on getting some manure spread and fertilizer and that sort of thing. So, kind of taking advantage of the warm weather while we got it. Yeah, that's. I remember a few years back uh, we had had a December where there was a time period we could actually get back out in the field and do some things. It's, it's. Yeah, we don't get this chance very often. For for all the guys down in the south, they're probably thinking, "What? What are you guys talking about?" But now that <laughs> that ground gets awful hard, you can't do much with it. Yeah, yeah, we call it poor man's concrete. So we've had a little <laughs> bit of that and been able to get some get some stuff done in the muddy spots. But uh, yeah, it's it's unusual. Uh, I think it was warmer on Christmas Day than it was on Halloween. Now, now think about that for a second. We wow. we hit a high of 61 on Christmas Day. Wow, and yeah, we got snow on Halloween. <laughs> yeah, Halloween could be can be tricky, and and you know maybe that was good. Maybe the kids didn't get quite as much candy then. That's probably not all bad if Halloween's a little cold. Uh, so I'm yeah. wondering, as you're yeah. doing this tillage, did you guys have ruts in your area where fields wet at some point that you had to fix it? I know in our area that was sure the case. Yeah, we didn't on our operation. We're, we're generally no tillers, so that the tillage we're doing is for some research plot areas and. And just trying to fix some compaction where we haul grain out of the field. So um, ruts weren't a too big of an issue for us, um, and and in the area, not too bad. Guys kind of held off when it was when it was wet this fall and stayed off of that soft ground. 
Yep, yep. That was hard to do in some cases, especially uh, when they were nervous they weren't going to get back out. Was corn dry in your area, or how did how did your corn crop turn out? No, it was wet. We we didn't get much corn planted until early June, and so I would say the average was coming out 26, 27 percent. Um, normally, by the end of harvest, when we get into that early November, we're we're 15 to 17 percent. So. We had to dry everything, and it slowed us down. Uh, probably took twice as much time to run corn through as it normally would. All right, this gets us back to a topic Brandon and I were discussing a little bit earlier. In With 2020 hindsight, and you still had to plant corn in early June, would you have shortened up maturities then? Would you have done anything different? You know, I try not to look backwards too much. Uh, some of that wet corn was still 105, which is early day early corn for us. Huh. Um, and it was, I mean, the driest corn we ran, I think, all fall was 19 and a half. Um, and that was some 104-day corn that was planted, I think, the 3rd of June. So I don't know that we really could have shortened things up much. Um, the thing I want to do is, is go back and revisit the, the the pencil scratching that we did or whether we should have taken prevented planting or not um, <laughs> i know we, it we had we had some wet farms that uh we lost a lot of yield on and in hindsight i'm gonna guess that we probably would have been better off taking pp on those acres you know we'll find out next year uh when we we see some of these fields that did get planted i, I guess the good thing is we're going to have a jump on everybody else that that wasn't able to get a cover crop in or a crop into the to these you know, same acres in the in the mm-hmm. neighborhood. Anyway, I, I'm a little nervous about fallow center and what that's going to do. Some of the data has shown, uh, yeah, you may give up a little bit of yield this year, but you might gain it all back next year and more. Yeah, that's true. I and those guys that did have PP in this area, uh, I think probably 90 percent or better did get a cover crop on. Some awesome. Went with uh, with a uh, like a sedan grass, and they bailed later on. Uh, some of it looked like it was just oats that they went out and clipped three or four times. So I think for the most part, that's that fallow center was pretty well known in this area because of the river bottom ground that we deal with. Sure. Um, and everybody tried to get something growing on those acres. Yep, yep, that's a good deal. Well, Dave, thank you. Really appreciate talking to you. Really appreciate hearing what's going on. Glad you guys are able to get out in the field a little bit. And uh, good luck here. Have a happy new year. All right. Uh, Merry Christmas and happy new year. Yeah, thank you. Uh, got Dave down in Missouri with us now. Dave, how's it going down there? Uh, good. How are you doing? We are doing well. We're doing well. So are you guys out in the field too, or, or you get everything wrapped up out there? No, we got everything wrapped up finally. It was a long, long harvest, but we finally got it. it uh, we ran four-wheel drive in our fields with our combines until the last two fields where it finally got dry enough where we could kick out the four-wheel drive and combine like we should normally yeah what a what a year i'm i'm really happy 2019 is just about done and hoping 2020 is different um because because yeah this was a tough one for a lot of guys so how did you turn it you said you had a long harvest but was it a good one did you have decent yield still yes we did yes we did that was the surprising part we uh talking with landlords uh our, our normal rainfall is 32 34 inches of rain a year and we had 62 to 64, 65 inches, so we were right at double. And for the most part, uh, you call it just pure luck, uh, we had the corn on our upfields, and 
beans on our lower fields, so we were okay. Uh, we didn't. We had some drowned out spots, but uh, didn't get didn't get hurt too bad. You know, we've lucked out like that before too, where where our bottom ground uh, had the had the right crop for the year. Uh, it doesn't always happen, but uh, but I'm glad that worked out for you. You know, as, as you're getting through with the just trying to get the combines through the field, did you have to go back then and do some tillage, or, or what did you do to try and fix things back up? Oh no, we we still will have to go back through. We uh, no no, it's it's still muddy out there. It's it's it's. We were hoping that the ground would freeze. We've had a couple of snowstorms, but uh, no, no, no. The ground is still very much wet. You still, everything's thawed back out. Uh, we're, it, it's going to put us in a bind here for the spring uh, preparation because uh, it's, you got to work some of those ruts in and maybe have to work a couple of times to get those ruts worked in and what all have you. So uh, there's nothing done this fall uh unfortunately you're kind of in the same boat we were in last year then at this time where we had ruts from 2018 and couldn't really do much about it we were happy we got the crop off uh hopefully we'll get a get an open winter here where it's not not too much moisture to get things going what are what are the rivers like then right right where you're at are they just still full yeah they're full but they're coming down so thankfully we're far enough or, or in dry years unthankfully we're far enough we don't have to worry about the moisture the flooding around the rivers uh but no they finally have receded enough down there uh where we actually have had our highways open uh, i mean we've had some highways shut down five and six seven times throughout the summer just because of the continuous water and, and rain coming through there and flooding everything over and over again and uh it's it's it everything you know is coming down on the river so uh you know that's that's the good news anyway you know when when we have falls like that then there's no fall fertility does that change things for you do you normally put fertilizer on the fall or are you normally a, a spring or planting time applicator anyway uh we probably pretty much do everything in in the spring the only thing we'd like we'd like to do a little bit of fertility uh of of in the fall but that's that's obviously not going to happen, but uh, it just it just tightens up that window in the in the springtime more than uh, than what we're used to, unfortunately. But we're we're predominantly in the springtime just because I don't want to don't want to lose anything over the winter on leaching out or anything. Yep, yep, yeah. It's uh it's interesting. Everybody's got a different way of doing things, and uh, for for some guys, I know we talked to uh, going into the spring of 2019. They said, "Oh man, I don't know what to do. I didn't get some things done in the fall I wanted to do." But but other guys, hey, this is just the way we do it, and and no problem. So it's it's always encouraging to hear. Okay, I, even if I didn't get it done in the fall, still uh, still got a good opportunity. I can get that done at planting time too. Uh, Dave, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on, and happy New Year to you. Happy New Year to you too, Darren, and your brother. Thanks. Uh, it's Farmer Friday on our show today. We'll take your calls and questions coming up right after this. Find your full potential and increase your bottom line with branded generic insecticides from Atticus, LLC. Unwanted insects are a nuisance, but they're no match for Serpent from Atticus. Serpent delivers economical, fast-acting, broad-spectrum control to help your corn, soybeans, and wheat crops thrive. Growers across the region count on Atticus for relevant and reliable products that deliver results every time. Ask your local retailer about Atticus products and visit AtticusLLC.com to learn more. For value-based solutions you can trust, turn to Atticus. Always read and follow label instructions. 
clean fields and higher yields start with a strong battle plan. For soybean growers, there's no stronger ally than Sonic Herbicide. When applied pre-emerge, Sonic has proven to defeat yield robbers like water hemp, mare's tail, and giant ragweed. With long-lasting residual control, it keeps fighting to defend your field from invaders. Visit battleweeds.com to plan your attack against weeds. Always read and follow label directions. Sir, yes, sir! You know a healthy crop is required for your best results. Simply put, balanced crop nutrition pays. AgriLiquid Fertilizers have the research, technology, and products to deliver those results. We also have an outstanding team of field agronomists ready to help you with your fertility decisions. AgriLiquid can help you maximize your yield potential effectively and economically. Visit agriliquid.com to find a dealer near you. When it comes to my weed control, I know a head start can go a long way. That's why I spray early, so I can keep control all season long with a Roundup Ready Extend Crop System, the system that makes the difference. This is my field. Choose the Roundup Ready Extend Crop System for control of more weeds than any other soybean system. Featuring Extendamax herbicide with vapor grip technology to manage tough to control weeds, including up to 14 days of soil activity, along with the field proven performance of Roundup Ready to Extend soybeans. Now you have the right tools to extend your weed control and extend your yield with the system that makes the difference. Learn how you can put the system to work in your field when you visit RoundupReadyExtend.com. Extendamax is a restricted-use pesticide. Performance may vary. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Check local regulations for specific requirements in your state. Your independent spirit is more rewarding than ever before. Unlike programs that require growers to purchase a particular seed brand or to bundle certain products, the FMC Freedom Pass program rewards you for making the best choices for your fields. Our exclusive agronomic rewards, performance assurances, application innovations, and product financing make it easier to protect your crops and cash flow. Visit your authorized FMC retailer or fmcfreedompass.com to calculate your potential financial incentive and learn more. It's Farmer Friday on Ag PhD Radio. You can join the discussion by giving us a call at 844 844- 44 Ag PhD. Let's head north of the border up to Man- Manitoba. We've got Riley on with us. Riley, how are you doing today? I'm doing very good. And yourself? You know, we can't complain. We're we're sitting uh, in a good spot right now. We've melted away some snow. We're ready to accept some more. And uh, <laughs> hopefully that means winter's shorter when you get a little bit of an open time in the middle of it. Oh, yeah, that would be great. We, uh, Actually, right now it's about 30 degrees Fahrenheit, so this is our break. Excellent. Well, hey, we'll take it. Any Anything like that is good. We were uh, 40 degrees Fahrenheit here for a few days, and when it started to cool back down, boy, we really felt it. We're like, man, we're kind of spoiled here. <laughs> yeah, we uh, we noticed that too when it dips down to the, uh, to the teens or maybe even to zero degrees Fahrenheit. We feel that pretty good. Well, the good thing is you killed off a lot of bugs. You took care of a lot of disease that blew up from the south. Uh, those are positive positive things of living in the north. But how about the crops? How, how did things turn out this year for your farm? So um, our crops were average to below average. I, uh, I'll tell everybody that will ask me, uh, 2019 is a year with two floods and a drought and grasshoppers. 
We had a flood this spring, and then we had a drought. We got three inches of rain from May 1st to the uh, 1st of September, and then we got 18 inches of rain in the month of September, and we got another flood. So Wow. wow. It was a trying year, but we did have some bright spots, and we did we did see some things that actually worked that hey, we were surprised about. You know, one thing, Riley, just, to, I mean, the floods and the drought, yeah, that's, a lot of guys can sympathize with that this year, but the grasshoppers, I, I was talking to a soybean breeder, and uh, he said, you just would not believe the grasshoppers and how thick they were, and he talked about how his grandfather would always tell a story about them the grasshopper just moving in a wave and taking the crop overnight and he said i finally saw that this year don't know if i want to see it again but i finally saw it is that the kind of thing you saw up there yes for sure um there was definitely pockets which were way worse than others but i had a couple sections of soybeans i sprayed four times for grasshoppers oh my goodness throughout the whole season and it seemed like every 10 days a new wave would come through and By the by, the fourth time, third time, we're kind of looking and debating, and finally we just said, "No, we're going to pull the pin, and whatever happens, happens." We just it was so the crop was so beat up already, and yeah, yeah, that was something. That was something. Okay, talk about your crop then. What what did you salvage? You said some was kind of average, at least. That's a pretty big positive on a year like this. Oh, for sure. So our uh, our canola and our wheat was average to maybe just a little bit above average so um i split apply 95 percent of my n on my wheat and this year that paid over front loading it just because it was so dry that i found that i i vol uh i can't even say it volatilized a lot of my n when i put it on sure. ahead of the disc drill and so this year split applying it ahead of rain actually gave us a nice little bump in yield and so we're going to do more of that next year. Outstanding. Okay, well, I know you're not just raising canola and wheat. How about, how about the other crops then? Um, corn, we uh, that was a fight right from the start. We were cold this spring, so our later season corns, I should probably start. We grow between 72-day and 85-day corn in our area. Okay. And I would say most guys are growing that 74 to 80-day, and... I like to get started a little earlier, so I like to grow a little earlier. And um, But our later corn this year definitely suffered because of the cool spring, and we didn't have enough sunlight. And uh, I noticed that at the end of the year, it just ran out of gas and we didn't finish. Where my earlier corn finished, and we had a lot better test weight. And, yeah, it was a lot nicer-looking kernels. You know, we saw a lot of that across North America this year, just not enough sunlight to finish things off, and, and that that was frustrating. Yeah, that was for us, too. The one, the one biggest thing we had in this fall with the wet September is we had high vomitoxin levels in our corn. And I was just flipping through my information now that I took, and I noticed the later corn definitely got hurt more with the vom than the earlier stuff and i'm thinking that's because the husks were tight around it still trying to finish it trying to get to black layer and when the rains came it just the mold just took off 
Yeah, that you know, as uh, as you look at husk cover as we travel across North America, I know when we go way to the south, the guys want a lot of husk cover just to protect from birds and insects. Where in the north, a lot of times it isn't as big a deal to us. We we kind of want the husk to cover the ear, but we'd sure like it to flare out a little bit and be open for dry down. And uh, you're right, where we've seen hybrids with tighter husks, that can certainly be a challenge when we're wet. So that's just another thing I have to put on my list when I pick a corn hybrid. <laughs> well, <laughs> everything you pick for 2020 is going to be completely different. And anything you learn from this year, who knows if it'll be beneficial oh. next year. But it will at some point down the road. So I, I do like that you take good notes on the crop and, and uh, keep up on things so you can get better going forward. For sure. Uh, do you have time for a question? Sure. Go ahead. Um, so I didn't get any fall fertilizer down like probably most of your listeners. Okay. And the nitrogen, I'm, I've got that kind of figured out. That's going to be the easy one. But phosphorus in my corn, um, I'm going to put as much as I can down through my planter, but I just have an in-furrow unit, so I can't put too much down. What is your guys' thoughts on foliar feeding phosphorus? Or I know wide dropping phosphorus doesn't really work, but neither do you, does do you foliar have some feeding. Ideas? Yeah, no, foliar feeding isn't the greatest either. Phosphorus has to come in through the roots. Hey, Riley, I'll throw something in here. Last year, we were in the same boat on our farm. Now, we lucked out this year. We got most of our fall fertilizer on, but last year we didn't. And so what we ended up doing is getting a strip-till machine with coulters and then going out in front of the planter because I I was exactly where you're at right now. And I just said, well, I don't know that I want to modify our planter, and all I have is in-furrow. So I can only do so much, yet we've got big needs. we got, you know, big yield goals and everything. What am I going to do here? So we went out with that strip-till machine, and that worked out just fine. Now, I realize if you don't already have a strip-till machine, then <laughs> you're looking at more cost, or you have to rent something or whatever. So that's that's where in the challenge lies. Either put two-by-two two also on your planter or try to find some machine to, to do it this way. And the, the way I looked at it, I just figured, well, yep, we're going to get this other machine for the spring at least. Um, and it costs us a little bit of money, but I just thought this is a short-term deal. I, I mean, we've never had it where we don't get fall fertilizer on until this one fall. So is it really going to happen again? I don't think so. So I just didn't want to invest the money in changing over everything in the planter. Now, as I say that, we have a lot of these high-yield guys that, that come on the show here all the time, and they've been talking a lot about this two-by-two two on each side of the row and how much yield gain they're getting with that. They're putting nitrogen on and phosphorus and potassium and even some micronutrients, and, and it's working fantastically well. So it's just that's a big change for your planter if you're going to choose to do that. For sure. It's a lot of money to switch a 36 yep. row over. That's right. That's right. So, yeah. you know, I, I, I wish there was some great answer, but yeah, I agree with Darren 100%. Foliar doesn't work with phosphorus. Side dress doesn't work with phosphorus because it doesn't move in the soil. So that's kind of where we're at. You got to figure out some way to get it down in the ground. Otherwise, um, you could always go to um, <laughs> this other option that we have done, and we've done this with herbicides too, is, and I don't know when this will happen for you exactly, but let's call it sometime in March, maybe early April, when the ground is still frozen in the mornings, yet it's thawing in the afternoons. 
then we don't mind it so much putting herbicide out or fertilizer out. You don't want to do this on fully frozen ground in the winter because you could lose your phosphorus down the hill or something like, I mean, that, that could be bad. But when the ground is thawing in the afternoons, you can get it to attach to soil then, and hopefully then you can do some tillage in the spring before you plant to get it down into the ground. So that, that would be one last option for you. That's a really good idea. Um, we'll have to talk this winter about our regulations on that kind of stuff. Like <laughs> yep, sounds we're, good. We're, li- we're limited to April 15th. We can't put anything on before that. Yeah, but so, I mean, that might work out yeah. for for your geography. Hey, we got to run, Riley, for but sure. thanks for the call today. Appreciate it. Happy New Year. Yep. Happy New Year to you guys as well. Stay tuned. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. Every farmer knows that in order to be profitable, you need to maximize the return on your crop input investments. Hi, I'm Scott Harms, an agrist specialist with Grain PhD. Without an effective and flexible strategy, your grain marketing plan gets stuck in the mud. With Grain PhD, you get the clarity and guidance a solid marketing plan needs. Our free GrainBridge software simplifies your cost-profit analysis, and our risk specialists are here to help you develop your plan. Sign up today at GrainPhD.com. Build with the best. When you choose Morton Buildings for your next farm storage building, you'll experience the Morton Advantage at every step, starting before the walls even go up. Since the value of our buildings is in its ability to protect what you have stored inside, We ensure that every component is researched and tested to withstand the elements in all weather conditions. And we back it up with the strongest warranty in the business. Looks better. Built stronger. Lasts longer. Learn more at MortonBuildings.com. Customer service goes a long way when trying something new. Ryan Shaw from Michigan shares how Soil Warrior helped him transition to strip tillage in his operation. The Soil Warrior guys, they are amazing to work with. They made this jump in this transition extremely painless. One question that I get all the time is, how is the service and everything? And I said, well, actually, I get better service from them than I typically do my dealers uptown. They're just amazing. More info at SoilWarrior.com. Your grain bin fans can cost you a lot. High electric bills from running when conditions are not ideal, shrinkage from overdried grain, and spoiled grain all take money out of your pocket. With the STEPS GMS app temperature humidity switch, get your bin fans to start making you money. Only run vans when the conditions are right. Eliminate shrink and spoilage in your bins. Deliver grain in top condition at market moisture. When every dollar counts, you need STEPS GMS. Contact us today at stepsgms.com. You need a powerful herbicide to fight the war on weeds. Bellum is Rotam North America's mesotrion herbicide, and it fights against the annual broadleaf weeds attacking your cornfields. Winning this battle means higher yields, lower cost to you, and maximized profitability. For long-lasting residual weed control, check out Evinco, Vilify, and our newest mix, Rixa. For application, flexibility, and season-long control, that's Evinco, Vilify, and Rixa, powered by Bellum. For more information, visit bellumherbicide.com. That's B-E-L-L-U-M herbicide.com. 
Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio on a Farmer Friday. Taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Let's head back to those phone lines. We've got Josh with us right now out in North Carolina. Josh, how are you doing today? Doing great. Uh, hearing you guys got some cold temperatures. I'm looking <laughs> on my truck. The mo- my truck thermometer right now is uh, 70 degrees. Oh, so man. I'm sitting inside me wearing, wearing shorts. Uh, <laughs> Well, we're probably wearing shorts if it's 40 here. I mean, come on. That's not bad for the winter. <laughs> yeah, it will too. Yeah. yeah. So what's happening on your farm, Josh? You got 70-degree weather. That means you could get out and get some stuff done if you had things in the field yet. Do you still have field work to do at all? Yeah. So it's a little wet here. Uh, we've uh, we've had some not not tremendous amount of rains, but had enough along this wet uh we we got a little farm and uh, lease most of ours out. I work with Ag Retailer. It works in North Carolina, South Carolina, Virginia, and uh, we we uh, we had a as as good as a harvest season as we've had in years. It was just uh, guys hadn't had any better weather for getting the peanuts and the cotton and corn and soybeans out of the field. So it's it's been tremendous that the harvest season has. So which crops stood out this year? Were there any that you would say, oh, man, it was a great year for this crop? Yeah, I would I would say cotton. Uh, the corn crop was above average. Cotton uh, was way above average. I mean, if you, if you didn't make two bales per acre, you were doing, you were doing something wrong. Um, peanut, peanut crop was as probably good as we've had uh, in 15 years. So, Wow, that's that, awesome. That cotton and peanuts stood out, stood out to be the the best and if, if the cotton price continues to tick up like it has that that'll be really good for our area now you say that you're kind of wet now were you guys kind of hot and dry there for a while we did we had a we had a uh we had a decent spring getting the crop getting the crop in uh we we had a we had a stretch in the it was in may early in may we had 100 degree temperatures uh, in the middle of May, which is pretty unusual for here, and June was pretty hot. Uh, cooled off a little bit in August, but yeah, some of the crops, uh, some of the early planted corn really went under some stress uh, in June with the heat. Wow, yeah, no kidding, no kidding. That's uh, that's pretty extreme for that early. It is, it is. It was good getting the, getting the crop out of the ground, uh, getting the crop in and, and getting it up and getting it moving. But uh, when the water shut off, it, 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 it got pretty stressful. All right, we were just talking about fall fertility. In, in your part of North Carolina, is that a common thing, or do most guys wait until spring? Good question. So in the, in the Blacklands, if, if the weather, if, if, the, if the ground is dry enough in the high organic land, we will go out and, and, and put some potash, uh, phosphorus, a few micros, uh, and then bed the ground up and kind of leave the stale bed. In the, in the lighter soils, uh, unless it's, it's chicken litter or hog waste, there's not a whole lot of fall fertility going on in okay. that area. Just uh, just won't hold on to the won't hold on to the potash long enough. 
Yeah, yeah, that K is interesting, and that's it's such a different thing where we're at uh, in the western Corn Belt, where we've got heavy ground, not much rain normally, uh, not counting the last couple of years, but normally not that much rain, and potash just doesn't move much in our soils. I know as we've talked to growers in, in different parts of the world, it's been interesting just thinking about, oh, okay, well, you you have some extra concerns that we don't normally have. You know, when you put the, the litter out there for some of those guys, I get it why they want to want to get that out and need to get it spread at this time of year. But uh, do they till that in then? Is that just tilled in immediately as they're putting it on? A lot of it is. Uh, some of it goes out in, in, in no-till situations, and you have to watch the waterways. You know, you've got to observe the buffer zones and all. But um, some of it's going out going out on no-till situations. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it's, it's uh, fun chatting with folks around – uh, just to hear how things are done in different areas. And we're talking with Josh down in North Carolina. Uh, Josh, thank you so much. Really appreciate talking to you today, and good luck here uh, with the rest of the winter. Hey, thank you. Uh, thank you guys for what you do for agriculture. Oh, you bet. Really appreciate that. Thanks, Josh. Uh, let's head over to Illinois right now. I've got John with us. John, how are you doing? Hey, good afternoon, gentlemen. Hello. You know, we were talking about nitrogen, and I think we got a lot of nitrogen questions out of Illinois this year. Uh, How'd things go in your area? Well, I tell you what, yesterday I got a a great Christmas gift. Um, My winter wheat emerged, so (laughs) I was, I I thought that was, that was pretty great gift to have. I'm I'm laughing with you. That's crazy that it's that late. I mean, normally you'd have that up by when. Well, we'd hopefully we would be up in October, you know, but, um, and it was on the later side this year too. I mean, like with everybody else, but having that seed sitting in the ground for almost two months really, really gets you worried. Yeah. You know, I will say this extremes just like we, we had uh, a grower that we work with in our state that had a similar situation happen a few years back. And I remember he said, yeah, I just kind of figured I was dormant seeding. I thought, well, at least I got the seed out there and, We'll see what pops up in the spring, and and uh, as long as you had some snow cover, it actually turned out okay in the end. But yeah, it's it's a little risky coming up this late, no doubt about it. Yeah, yeah. So that that leads me to this question with you guys, because now I've, I'm thinking about warmer times come spring. Okay. Um, obviously, it's amazing when you see something growing again. How it kind of gets you thinking uh, about. The pluses and minuses of putting dry urea on winter wheat versus 32%. What, what are your thoughts on on that, uh, depending on your soil conditions, obviously, and price? But just, yeah. just curious on your thoughts. Yep. Well, the number one thing that I worry about all the time with dry urea, it, well, two things, I guess. One is crop injury, and two is going to be, is it going to volatilize? So you only have 48 hours after you put urea on if it's not treated with a stabilizer. You got 48 hours until you need to start getting some moisture. So in our geography, that a lot of times doesn't work too well. The next thing is when you're going to put it on, let's say wheat, or um, a lot of people will do it uh, in corn as a um, uh, side, you know, when we talk about side dress, people go blow on urea. I'm always going, oh my goodness, that worries me a lot. You get too much urea in that whirl. I don't care what 
crop you're talking about, you're going to see some leaf burn. So I'm not a real big fan. I We don't do it on our farm. And, you know, liquid nitrogen is now as cheap or cheaper in a lot of cases compared to urea the last few years. So that's been awesome. And uh, so what we usually talk to guys about in winter wheat is just stream barring nitrogen liquid. And that's our number one recommendation. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that's that's what I've been doing. I, you know, yep. just got the neighbor across the street, you know, and he, he swears by throwing throwing dry on, and I agree with you on, on the damage. Um, and, and I know in a perfect world, we would split apply nitrogen too. Wouldn't you agree off of that in the spring? Well, in your geography, probably. But you typically get twice as much rain as us. So where I'm going with this is quite often we'll go a month or more with no rain. So if I, I, I think, oh, I'm going to split apply something, and I don't care what crop we're talking about, but if I think we're going to split apply something, that's all fine as long as I can beat the last rain. If I don't beat the last rain, well, now I'm in trouble. So in our geography with these heavy soils, cold weather, and usually a lack of rainfall, we talk about, hey, let's, let's be early on the nitrogen. Whereas in your geography, and especially as you go south and east, as the soils get lighter and there's more and more rainfall, well, then it just makes complete sense to do, you know, at least two shots of nitrogen. And for some guys, maybe even three. Mm-hmm. Okay. All righty. All right. Well, well thank you. Thank you so much, you guys, and uh, and get this on tape. You you guys are the reason why I keep my XM subscription. So just to let you know that, too, so get uh, that on tape. Uh, awesome. Well, hey, we appreciate that, John, and uh, thanks a lot for calling in today. We want to wish you a happy new year and hope 2020 turns out great for you. You too. Thanks so much. Yep, thanks. Bye-bye. It is Farmer Friday on our show today. We're taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. You can find us on Twitter, AgPHDMedia, Brian Hefty, or Darren Hefty, or you can send us an email, radio at agphd.com. We'll be right back after this. Worried about glyphosate-resistant weeds and grasses in your corn? Unleash the power of new Impact-Z herbicide and get the early post-application advantage you've been waiting for. Save $3 per acre when you combine Impact-Z with a qualifying insecticide purchase. Go to buy2save3.com for details. Buy2save3 is a service mark and Impact-Z is a trademark owned by AMVAC Chemical Corporation. All rights reserved. Impact-Z is a restricted-use pesticide. Always read and follow label instructions. White mold and sudden death syndrome are two of the most important fungal diseases in soybean production today. But did you know 40 to 50 million acres in the north central region are affected annually? When every season has different disease challenges, the question becomes how can you ensure the best start for your soybeans no matter what? The answer is Heads Up Seed Treatment. Trusted by growers across the Midwest, Heads Up offers a new mode of action to prime your beans to help fight fungal disease. For more information, visit headsupst.com. Revitech fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide, brand new chemistry, three no excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide from BASF, that's smart. Always read and follow label directions. 
If you're like most farmers, you start thinking about next year's herbicide program right now. And the first step to a clean start next spring is applying Authority MTZ-DF herbicide this fall. Nothing burns down tough winter annuals, including common chickweed, henbit, and mare's tail, like a tank mix containing Authority MTZ-DF herbicide. Talk to your FMC Star retailer about Authority MTZ-DF herbicide, or visit fmcauthority.com. Always read and follow label directions. Authority is not registered for sale or use in California. How much yield did you lose the moment you planted your seed? Introducing the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Designed and built by a farmer tired of seeing yield loss from poor stands, the Germinator gives your crop the strong start it needs for maximum yield. Visit farmshopmfg.com. Tired of that old warped poly boom ruining your spray applications? Express Boom from Hypro is a fully assembled stainless steel boom that ensures an even application of chemicals every time. Don't wait another season. Upgrade today. Hypro, helping you spray better. As your corn crop grows and the ear begins to form, potassium is at a high demand, almost as high as nitrogen. The same is true for soybeans with similar high demands of potassium during pod fill. Don't fall behind and ensure your crop is getting its potassium with Catalyst. Catalyst by Actigrow has been shown to be the best at entering the leaf when compared to other leading potassium products. Visit k-supercharged.com for more information. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here along with my brother Darren. We are live in the Morton studio today. If you've got a question for us, it's 844-44-AG-PHD. This is a Farmer Friday. We'd love to hear from you. We're going to try to get to the Ag PhD mailbag yet during the show, yet this show, if we have time. But first, we want to jump back to the phone lines. we got Bill calling from up in Manitoba. Hey, Bill, I hear you're dealing with some vomitoxin. What's going on? Yeah, well, you know, there's a lot of corn left out in the field, and yes. uh, we don't traditionally grow corn, um, but uh, we have uh, beef cattle, and uh, our neighbor's got this corn that he's trying to harvest. It's 50-pound uh, corn. Okay. It's got eight parts per million vomitoxin in it. Uh, he was harvesting it at 30, 35% moisture, and he says, I'm done, you know? <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking there's maybe 10 ton an acre in the field that's you know, it's not fantastic corn, but I'm just yep. wondering whether I can be feeding this to my beef cattle. Yeah, so I don't know in Canada what your limits are up there for sure, but I do know in the United States what we typically will talk about is 10 parts per million for cattle that are older than four months, and um, you really don't want that to be the entire diet. A lot of times they'll talk about 50% of the diet. So when it gets to other livestock, so the younger stuff, I mean, then we're talking five parts per million and 40% of the diet. But here's the whole thing that I talk to guys about all the time. Um, Your livestock in the wintertime are already under stress. And now we're going to add more stress to it with you know, uh, these, these Don levels. So I just get very concerned about vomitoxin, obviously, as everybody should, when we're, when we're talking about feeding livestock and I would, I'm fine if you want to blend a little bit of it in there, but we just, we got to be really, really super careful uh, with the last thing. Oh, go ahead. I was just kind of thinking chopping the corn, you know, the whole stock, the whole work. He's measuring that, that, Vomit with uh, grain corn. Yep, that's what I was. You know what I mean? Yep, so that's we're what. Kind of, you know what I mean? 
bringing it down just by including the stock and everything that comes with it. But Probably. Now, one of the concerns, too, is um, what your levels are for nitrates in the lower part of that stock. If this didn't fully reach maturity, then we worry about the bottom couple of feet, especially in that stock. So, yeah, you can run some okay. more tests on it and everything, but I agree with you 100%. That was one of the first things I thought. I <laughs> Honestly, when you said, well, there's all this corn left, and the guy said he's done, I figured he was just going to leave his corn standing, and you were going to turn your cattle out there. And I thought, well... That, yeah. that might end up working out. I don't know. But uh, anyway. That, that might work, but, you know, <laughs> the cattle are kind of far away from there. So, no, I just, uh, I guess the best bet is just to chop some of it, test it, exactly. and see what we can do with it. And, yep, exactly. Okay. And, and and here's the other thing. There are going, going to be varying levels throughout this grain and throughout this silage. So really be on the conservative side. And don't just say, well, it's this one test and it should turn out fine. I'd always be way more conservative than that. Have another food source, if you can, other than this uh, uh, than, than this vomitoxin corn. Get it blended off. I, I mean, if you just can blend it off to a low enough level, you're probably going to be fine. But I want that level quite low. Okay. All, All right. right. Okay. We'll, we'll use precautions. All okay. right. Thank you. Good luck up there, Bill. Yeah, we, t we talk all the time just about the overall risk in farming uh, and obviously in dealing with livestock. And like I was saying just a minute ago, when you start talking about wintertime and the stress that the livestock are already under, that just makes some of these problems even worse that we've got right now. And what do you do? Because this is all over Canada. It's all over the United States where the test weight's low. Um, we, we've got quality issues all over the place. We were talking about this yesterday, too, in terms of grain marketing. I mean, get rid of the cash grain if you're worried about, hey, my grain is going to spoil in the bin. We can't have, we've already, again, we already got enough risk. So let's be super careful with that. Now, yeah, we probably have a couple months here, maybe three months, depending on where you're at. We can get the grain cold enough and we aren't super worried about spoilage. But boy, as soon as spring comes around and we have to worry about condensation and that grain warming up again, I'm very worried about it. So if it was me and I had grain like that, I'm trying to get rid of it and deal with it as soon as I can and put that behind us. And hopefully moving forward, we do like what Darren and I were talking about earlier in the show, either move to earlier maturing hybrids, planting a little bit earlier, uh, getting a better drying setup, lots of things that can be done. And that's something also that I didn't mention there at the end too. What we've always done with that that uh, vomitoxin grain is run it through the grain dryer and typically that helps a lot when you can heat it. So you heat it up and now we really reduce the levels quite often. I'm not saying this is the perfect answer, but we have just found that has been a, a, a good way to reduce our chance for any issues. All right, uh, let's get now to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's now mailbag time with Brian and Darren. This one comes from Wes in Illinois, and he said, I've been trying to order my seed this year without the refuge in the bag. Uh, my, my local seed dealer says he just can't even get any. Yep. And another seed dealer says, well, you can't buy a, a double pro or smart stacks type corn without the refuge in the bag because it goes against the EPA rules. No. Are, are there rules against planting a segregated refuge? No, but that was the key question there is segregated refuge. You have to have a refuge. 
and there are rules for what your refuge is with these BT products. Now, what they might have said for the illegal part is the percentage. They were able to lower the percentage clear down to 5% in a lot of regions in the United States based on the fact that it was absolutely going to be in the bag and spread throughout the field. If you are planting a refuge that's separate from that, well, then I believe the percentage would have to be higher. So I'm guessing that's where his illegal thing came in. All right. Thanks for the question, Wes. Really appreciate that. Uh, okay. Got a couple soil tests here. This one is from Joe in Illinois. And Joe said, uh, like your show, jotting down some notes here. My notes say 100 parts per million is what you're shooting for on phosphorus. Is that correct or should it be 100 pounds of phosphorus per acre? Okay. So first of all, that's what, I, and I've made some comments here, that's what I'm shooting for on my ground where I'm going for 300 bushel corn. I have heavy soil. Um, I, I am not worried about losing this phosphorus at all. In other words, I'm not just going to lay it on the soil surface and I'm done. We want it down into the ground and then we've protected it. Our biggest fear with phosphorus is soil erosion. If you've, like, let's say, got your top half inch of soil built up tremendously high with phosphorus and then erosion hits, well, so long phosphorus. And not only did you lose that money now, but you have potentially contaminated some downstream water, whether that's a lake or a river. Anyway, when I'm looking at his stuff, he's he's got readings in pounds. I was talking about parts per million. He's talking. He's got pounds here, and his average is 57 pounds. What I would encourage you to do is take a look at the nutrient removal charts for whatever crop you're raising. Now, typically, nutrient removal charts are also going to say phosphate. In order to convert phosphorus over to phosphate, you need to multiply times 2.3. So in your case, you've got pounds of phosphorus. You'd have to multiply that 57 pounds times 2.3 to get yourself roughly, we'll call it 130 pounds of phosphate. So that's what's there right now. All right. The other question you said, I'm going to meet with my fertilizer dealer to discuss applications for next spring. Uh, so you've got two fields here. One averages 97 pounds of pea, the other one 57 pounds per acre. And I'm wondering about your 10 to 1 phosphorus to zinc ratio that you've talked about. If I get pea levels to 100 parts per million, getting the zinc to 10 parts per million is quite a bit compared to where I'm at. I'm just yep. wondering what you think about that. Uh, I'm also going to work on sulfur, micros, and getting my K up in the 4 to 7% range. Yeah, and what I always tell people is run your own tests. You probably have uh, a yield monitor, and, and you actually have all these data points. If you have grid points out in your field, take even, let's say, one field and do one-acre grids. Okay, and then for every one of those grid points, look at what your yield is and look at what where your fertility levels are. And then you're going to find out real fast what pays and what doesn't. We actually overdid it on, on zinc. So in some cases, we were only at a 3 to 1 ratio of phosphorus parts per million to zinc parts per million. And that was really hurting us. We've got to get that ratio up. It looks to me like 8 to 1, 10 to 1, 10 to 1 is probably fine. So yeah, if you're going to be at... A uh, hundred parts per million of phosphorus, you'd probably have to be 10 parts per million of zinc. Thanks for the questions. Really appreciate that. And thanks to you for listening today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio. 
Now stay tuned for Rob Sharkey and Shark Farmer Radio.